1: Oh, June 27, 2019. It is. It's another crazy day in the world of sports. Gino Bacola here on the Mike Abadir Show. Mike, so many different directions to go. Where do you want to go first?
2: There really are a lot of different directions to go. They're going to be naming the All Star MLB All-Star starters in a few moments here. And if there's any surprises or anything interesting, we'll be sure to talk about it on the air. Come on, talk a little bit of boxing. Jersey number swapping i guess it's not really a swap if you give one number away and then pick another number though right that's kind of a i'm doing you i'm doing you yes i'm gifting there you go
1: yeah which i guess we could start right there then okay uh, then let's do it for because that's kind of the most uh i guess more recent pressing news it was a good day for the lakers no matter um what happens moving forward because What has been discussed now ever since the Lakers made the trade for Anthony Davis was how much cap space do they have left? Did Rob Polinka screw up the trade? Did he not know what he was doing? Did he realize that he's not going to have enough money to to get probably a couple other players or another max? Well, all that was wrong. (laughs) He knew what he was doing. He ended up working it all out. And whether or not you like him, Rob Polinka now in the last 13 months has gotten LeBron James to come to the Lakers. Now, I think that was more magic than than it was Palenka, but he got LeBron to come. He also got Anthony Davis in a trade, and now he's opened up cap space for perhaps a third max player or the opportunity to fill in all around that. What LeBron did today was he offered Anthony Davis jersey number 23. Anthony Davis decided to waive his $4 million trade kicker, and so the Lakers have $32 million available in cap space. Yeah, listen, man. I don't care who you are, but if you are
2: able to bring in pro- arguably the two biggest names in the sport, arguably the two best players in the sport, right? Uh, two of the top five. I mean, yeah, you could not go five to seven, yeah.
1: even. I mean, if, even if you don't like Anthony Davis, and if you say LeBron's not the number one anymore, we're still at the very most two of the top ten in a year when Durant's probably not going to play. Yeah, so I mean, one of your top tens already that, out. That's a big deal, man. That's, yeah, you know, that's monumental, you know, and
2: typically that teams like the Lakers and the Yankees, they pull that kind of stuff. You don't see a lot of, you know, you don't see small market teams typically doing that. I think an outlier may have been Miami, which isn't necessarily a small market, but to me, you know, they didn't have the history or the lore to be able to pull something like that off. Oh. So it happens every once in a while. And to me, it's always fun.
1: It's always interesting to see kind of how it play out plays out it's weird as a fan right to be completely honest because you mentioned a good thing like it's in the yankees this group of the yankees are much different than like any other iterations of the yankees right because they actually do have some of those guys that you that they didn't used to have they do have a lot of homegrown players in in this crop and that's what's kind of fun about the dodgers is because there's this mixture of homegrown guys or maybe some solid veterans that you bring in but with the lakers it's a it's I'm glad they still have Kuzma around. It's just going to and Anthony Davis is only 26, so he could be a laker for the next 10 years. It's just a little strange when you have stars from other places all come in together and you got rid of all the the kids you were rooting for for the last few years. Now, I think the Lakers did exactly what they needed to do. They are going all in right now. You have LeBron, you have Anthony Davis, you have to do that. But just from a rooting standpoint, the teams that are always the most fun to root for are the teams that you've seen get built, kind of struggle, make the playoffs one year, get swept, make it the next year, get beat by the, the best team. You kind of like see them progress, you know?
2: Well, and I think that's a part of kind of the progression of the Lakers, right? Because, you know, they haven't been a playoff team in a while. They haven't been the Lakers in a while. They had some, you know, opportunities, you know, draft-wise. And, you know, I think some sometimes you just kind of have to look in the mirror and say, you know, we we weren't able to do maybe what the Celtics did so now I have to use some, um, you know, ingenuity to be able to rebuild this this roster, to be able to get it to be a playoff caliber, championship caliber type team. And I think they've done a really phenomenal job kind of, I mean, it's kind of hard to say quietly when you're talking about the, they're, the, they're on, you know, the lead on SportsCenter during the offseason and things of that nature, but quietly in the sense that I don't think they're necessarily getting, they're getting the noise for the players but not getting necessarily the credit for that recognition. And I think it's important because sometimes teams will be very stubborn about things, and the Lakers have been very vocal. You know, you had multiple people within the organization say, if they're not a playoff team next year, I'm out of here. Or within two years, I'm out of here. And look at how many changes we've seen in upper management with that organization. And so for that, I think most people that have kind of stepped into the shoes have recognized the important, whether it be any of the bus siblings or a Magic Johnson or now Rob Palenka, that we can't just keep doing the same thing and
1: have like a 10-year runway. That doesn't work for the Lakers. No, no. And it just, like you said, it. the Lakers really have never been that way. They've really never been... I mean, they maybe they get one of their pieces through the draft, but they've always been a team that qu- that acquires their stars and wants to go all in when they get the pieces. And and here's the thing you mentioned, Boston, for example, there's only so much acquiring assets you can do. Right. At some point, you have to take all those assets and turn them into something because you you can't just keep acquiring late first round, early second round picks over and over and over again. And that's one of the issues that Boston's kind of come into right now. They they have a lot of these assets or picks. Even this year, they traded for more picks and, and more picks. But if they don't get a star, and it, right now, none of the rumors are that any of the big free agents are going to Boston. They're rumored now to maybe be in the mix for Kemba. Maybe he fills in the Kyrie Irving spot and he's he's not as bad of a teammate in there and, and so they're you know they're still in the mix in the playoffs. I heard Vucevic also, but you, you want to pay Kemba Walker a max for four more years and is Kemba Walker going to be good enough defensively to be your your best player in the playoffs? You know, so that's I like where the Lakers are right now. They have to still make some moves. They have to win, but all you can do is set yourself up and put yourself give yourself the best opportunity. And right now they have a lot of options which just a few weeks ago, a month ago, when you're sitting out and you're watching the playoffs, it's like, man, Golden State is so good right now. And then, boom, Durant gets hurt. And then Clay gets hurt. And now Kawhi maybe stays in Toronto, and everything just got so wide open in the last few weeks. It's really crazy. Yeah, we talked about
2: that a little bit in last week's show, that just the outcome of the finals, I think, changed things up quite a bit. By the way, I have to apologize to our listeners. I have a very... um, what's the word? It, it, a mute button that you kind of have to press pretty firmly to get it. So it's I started stuck. packing my dip. Oh, I was going to say, I heard,
1: the, I heard the... Yeah, the I thought pack. I
2: pressed mute and here I am, I'm packing my dip and I'm shoving it in my mouth like
1: an animal and <laughs> I think everybody heard can we that. Get a, so. hey, Ray, can we get a, the sound drop of Mike to say, and I'm shoving it in my <laughs> mouth like an animal? <laughs> I just want to cut that sound drop and we can uh, we can play it repeatedly. Yeah, maybe oh,
2: for now on, like anytime somebody says something yeah. kind of animalistic or stupid, you know, he's gotta you go. just got to just go right into it. But, uh, you you mentioned Kimba Walker, and I think it would be very, very interesting for me as a I like following the Celtics. I'm not a huge sure. NBA fan, but I like following the celtics. they're they're the Lakers East, right? So sure. what can Brad Stevens do with Kimba defensively?
3: Yeah, he would How be-
2: can he get Kimba to fit into that team defensively because Kimba, you know, on a national level, he's he's kind of underrated. you know he he's I agree. not talking about, about the the best. and I think that he, you know, he he was a popular college player and then kind of got forgotten about a little bit in the pros. And then next thing I know, I look up and I'm like, Man, he's he's scoring, you know, a lot of points in the NBA. Wow, good for him. And he's done
1: it then the next year and the year after that, year in, year out. He's he's, he's, gotten, he's become a better player. outside shooter. Mm-hmm. He's become a little bit better of a facilitator. He's a he's a leader offensively. And he could be like your offensively, he could be like your one A if you had another comparable to his level on offense type player, and maybe Jason Tatum grows into that, maybe Gordon Hayward can get healthy and become some semblance of the player that he was, you know, and that they're paying him all that money to be. Or, you know, if he was on a team with a couple other stars, like, I wouldn't want to pay him that much, but if he was on the Lakers, he wouldn't be a bad fit. Because... He you wouldn't be able to to pick on him, I feel like, as much. And he feels like the type of guy in a playoff series that if he's out there and you just pick and roll over and over on him, he's it's not even that he he doesn't put up the defensive effort. We're just in a league where we are seeing a lot of big guards and very switchy lineups. There's not there's it's kind of becoming a positionless type league. You know, we see so many point forwards and so many big guys that can handle the ball that are able to switch on defense. You have Durant there. You have LeBron. Like you have Kawhi. Guys like Jimmy Butler. Those are all big guys that are almost playing like the, the point guard position a lot of the time. So if you're a small guard, it could be really hard in the big moments. And do you want to pay him for four years down the line for um, sometimes the smaller players when they lose a little bit of their athleticism? Now what do they have? Right. They need that. We saw with Isaiah Thomas. If something goes slightly wrong. You're in a lot more trouble than a player like a LeBron who can maybe post you up a little bit, or a Durant who can who can do that. We saw Kobe kind of have the, the the post game to kind of change his game a little bit later on, and, and some of these players who can re you know redefine their game. But could a guy like Kemba even do that?
2: Yeah, and you know, as you're talking, it it, it kind of dawned on me uh, that the progression of the NBA is it's become much more athletically than ever before.
3: Yes. And it's kind of funny
2: because when you look at it, maybe 15, 20 years ago, you know, you probably thought, you know, these guys are pretty athletic for, for seven-footers and stuff like that. But there are guys that are seven-footers that were big-time point scorers or, you know, like 15, 18 points a game, point-type point scorers, shot blockers, et cetera. They wouldn't even be able to make a team
1: nowadays. No. They yeah. you, They wouldn't. You could attack them... To what what's what's we're seeing happen? It's it's kind of like a like the advanced shifts even in baseball almost. You know, it's like the the way that they're attacked offensively on the court, they wouldn't be able to even stay on the court defense. Like the other team could just come at them every single time. But even
2: with the shifts and things of that nature, and, and this is probably a good transition point to baseball. You know, the Rays don't get credit for it, um, or it doesn't get talked about very often. But the Rays are the ones that started the whole shift thing. And they had to, to be able to compete with, mm-hmm. you know, bigger salary clubs. And to me, them and the A's are teams I always kind of secretly root for, even though they're in my the money ball teams, team's division. Yeah. yeah, Because it's just so cool to see how innovative they are, how they're able to bring up players year in, year out, and be competitive and be a playoff team or, you know, competing
1: for a playoff spot almost and every and year, really, you know? The reason why the Dodgers are as good and as sustained good as they are right now is for that reason. They're run by
3: the guys yeah. who came over from Tampa, from, from, from Tampa, exactly who dealt right.
1: with exactly what you're talking about, who dealt with teams that didn't have the type of money that the Dodgers have. So now when you have the money that the Dodgers have, they don't go spend it stupidly. They just take more chances. And every year over the last five years, the Dodgers come up with somebody out yeah. of nowhere that you were not expecting. Uh, and Taylor, I want to elaborate on that point, uh, Muncie. Yep. You, like uh, some of the pitchers that we've seen now, like, Muncie was a castaway. The guy Dude, was he hitting was, a he was something with he, Oakland he got and cut released. from Oakland. He got released, and now he's like, he's like an all-star player. He, he he gives you some of the best at bats in the league. He like never swings at bad pitches. He can hit lefties and righties. He can play multiple positions. He like. It's amazing, and even Chris Taylor, who struggled last year, when seeger has gone down and Taylor's been playing every day, he's hitting like 330 again, and he's starting to crush the ball again like he did a couple years ago. And now, you know, over the weekend, the Dodgers had three consecutive walk-offs by rookies. By rookies. By rookies. Not just rookies. Like these guys, of the, the just guys, up. guys that are like
2: even in the conversation for rookie of the year or anything. None. These are guys that like have been called up and, uh, and then, up and, and down. The catcher's down. been sent up and down. Will Smith, you know, it's just like and then it's, it's unbelievable. And
1: the other day they started a game where they they had four rookies in the starting lineup, and they they didn't even have a starting pitcher, and they won. They had they had like they did a they did a bullpen game. Yeah, that's a game that uh, Stripling game. started, right? It was Stripling, and then Urias came in mm-hmm. and it was like. Wow, and they had Beatty and Garlic and Will Smith and uh, Verdugo was batting third. The the yep. rookies were like third, fifth, sixth, and seventh in the lineup. Yeah, you know, no. and that just shows you that's not money, that's just good scouting and a good front office. It, exactly right.
2: It, just to come full circle with the point that I was uh, about to make was with with Tampa and coming up with the shift and things of that nature. You brought up the shift in analogizing it to like you know basketball and stuff. The difference it, between basketball and baseball, though, is you can decide to go the other way with it, but the game doesn't change. Like, baseball as as, as a game doesn't change, but you can defeat scheme trying different things. You can maybe bunt down the line if you've got speed. You If you're like a Jeff McNeil-type hitter who could use all parts of the field, you can go the other way with it, that type of thing. But basketball, it's changed in that not just the schemes but the type of players the type of skill sets it's
1: like a totally different game now there are very few more of those niche players right there are very few more of those players that you used to see like a Zach Randolph who who couldn't really jump but man this guy could just beast you down low and get boards and he he could just create nowadays if he was trying to play defense on a stretch four or five and they'd pull him out and they'd run him all over he would he would struggle a little bit you know some some players that kind of have that You know, like that were late 90s, like real when the game was real tough. And as you when it wasn't nearly as athletic as it is now. And maybe a lot of it has to do with the three pointer and the way the kids are coming up. Even, you know, every kid that you see out on the on the playground shooting a three, no matter how big they are, they're all handling the ball. They all want to be Steph Curry. And uh, it's just a little bit different before you were Kobe and you were shooting the mid range, you know, 20 years ago. And you were MJ and you were shooting like the baseline turnaround, you know, or at the top of the key, like at the free throw line jumper now you're you're 5 8 10 feet back even farther it it is a little um it is a, a lot different i agree with you cuz you just don't see as many in baseball you can still carve out your spot if you're a smart player you like you said you can get around it you can you can when you you can wait for your pitch you can hit your pitch uh right now if you're not athletic enough to get open if you're a great three point shooter you're not going to get your shot off no mm-hmm. No,
2: I remember there was a player... Do you remember Rick Smith's? Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. He was great. Would, would he be in the N- NBA today? No, I mean, like, Zelgowskis would yeah. be really tough. Like, we see them... Like, a guy like Boban for the 76ers. The way, the only way you use players like that now is they are, like, a, a, a change of pace. They can come in off the bench and change things up just for, like, 10 minutes because the other team will be like, what? We're not used to a big guy. And then as soon as they kind of counter you and go real small and stretch you back out, then you're in trouble. And so you can only do it in like real small spots. I still think a guy like Shaq would have been, would be fine because we, we start to remember Shaq and we think big Shaq, but think about Shaq when he was lean, like he would still be running up and down the court. I don't think he would be shooting threes, but he would be, he would just be really tough for anybody to defend. And and I think he like that's, there were, there are just fewer of them and exactly. you know how self-deprecating that guy is. The big
2: Aristotle is like he's he's kind of the opposite of a of a Barkley or some of these or Pippen or some of these old school guys who will kind of make it always seem like back in yesteryear the players were better and basketball was better and was a better team game and so on and so forth. Shaq actually, I don't remember the player he was asked about, and it was on uh, I believe uh, one of the morning shows I think with Stephen A. or somebody. I think he was filling in for Stephen A. last week with Max, and um, he was asked about a certain player, and Shaq was like, "Yeah, I mean." Um, I'd be backing him up if I was in the game today, and he said it very seriously. I think it's just more of his self-deprecating nature because I agree with you. I think Shaq sure. is the type of player that can be dominant in any era that he's in. But he's but, kind of the exception of of the yeah. Big no, guy no, that's who, what your you know? point is that
1: there's just so few there. There used to be a place for just that template of a player. Yeah.
2: The only, the you only clear, the only cent, like true center from back of the day that I think you know, outside of Shaq, that would be still dominant right now would be Hakeem Olajuwon because he was yep. a great shooter. He
1: could shoot, and and, know, then some and maybe of the guys,
2: Patrick Ewing, but Hakeem was shoot, a different yeah. type of player, though.
1: And like you know, like Robinson started to stretch his uh, his range a little bit mm-hmm. towards the end of his mm-hmm. career, and Good so point. like some of the guys who could shoot, like Malone, maybe, like but but so few of them, and only the ones that have the the mid range to you know like perimeter type game already. And so we just assume that they could stretch their their game a little bit more out. But but who knows? You know, if Malone's playing a game where he has to guard the three pointer more often, does he even make it as long as he does in his career? Probably not. You know, so that's how it is for a lot of these players. But then you can flip it on the other and say maybe Malone who but I, Malone's a tough example because he took such good care of his body. But it's like LeBron takes so much care of his body and puts so much more money into it than Michael Jordan ever did, you know, smoking cigars and, and gambling all night, you know. And then you have Kobe, who took a little bit ba- better care of his body and it kind of progresses. So I always have a tough time wondering are these players going to last longer because of all the science and the medicine, or are they not because they have to play a little bit harder?
2: Well, I think if if a lot of those guys were around today, they'd incorporate, you know, the advances of today's science and medicine and. You know, a lot of the quarterbacks would be kind of like a Tom Brady who's about to turn 42 as a starter in the NFL, which is just unfathomable. But let's take a commercial break, Gino. We'll come back. I've got some Dodger thoughts. I'm sure you do as well. I want to actually mention a couple of other things about the connection between the Rays and the Dodgers that you brought up. Stay with us. We'll be back in a quick moment.
3: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? <laughs> stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
0: this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at one 472 5788 that's one 866 472 or send an email to Mike at the Mike Now back to this week's program.
1: Back here on the Mike Abadir show, the all-stars they're getting selected right now, right? Like as we're speaking, I think they're currently they are. Being selected. And so right we'll-
2: now they're just showing the percentages on the American league DH and Hunter Pence is walloping over JD Martinez and Nelson Cruz by about 15 percentage points or so. And, uh, I think they'll name the DH probably in the next uh, 15 minutes or so. Yeah, it's uh, live on ESPN for anybody who wants to watch on mute while
1: listening to us. So it's it's been like, well, we'll start, let's talk a little baseball right now. It, it's been such a weird se- first half of the season for Boston, right? Just like every, we've talked about it too. It seems like every time they take a couple steps forward, then they take a couple steps backwards The Yankees have played really, really well, and they haven't really hit a a rough patch, which I'm sure at some point they're going to hit in the second half of the season. What's nice for Boston now is that Tampa has hit a little bit of a skid, but as Tampa hits a little bit of a skid, some of the other teams in the other divisions are playing well. So like if the season ended right now, Boston wouldn't be in the playoffs. They've actually got the seventh best record in the American League. Yeah, how about the AL West? That's a strange. Yeah, it's a very surprising division. Very like the surprising Rangers. Division. The Rangers are the team that they continue to play well. We keep expecting with their pitching that it's just going to. Some point they're just going to stop. Right. They just don't have the pitching. They've won five in a row. I mean, look. Yeah, the Rangers, the A's, and the Angels all with a nice week. They've won a couple games in a row, and they have four teams over 500. And the one team that isn't over 500 is the Seattle Mariners, who started the season 13 and two.
2: Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> and
1: uh, the four teams that you just mentioned, they're all um, in the
2: plus on the differential side, uh, run differential side, which is uh, obviously a, a key number that people look towards when trying to as figure as out. Yeah, means not as
3: spooky. Yeah, yeah
2: exactly. Um, the, 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 the wildest one is the Cincinnati Reds, who are six games under five hundred, but they have mm-hmm. a plus 40 run differential. I know. It's crazy. Which is absolutely amazing. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the Red Sox, here's the interesting thing about it is that they are the most games above 500. Uh, well, yesterday they were before they lost, uh, being seven games above 500. It's, it's the most games above 500 they have been all year long. With that said, they're also the farthest um, behind in the, in the standings that they've been since uh, the first, you know, three weeks of the season when they started off absolutely terribly. So you can look at it one of sure. two ways, which is take away the first two weeks. They have one of the be- better records in baseball.
0: Yeah, the, and the first it's, two it's weeks just, count. And that's the way baseball weird. is.
2: Just like the last two weeks will count. Just like these two weeks will count. You know, that, it's that, just that's weird that, how 162 works.
3: Yeah, and right? it would just
2: feel. But they just haven't found that. that uh, I think what you were about to say when you first introduced this topic was they just haven't found a way to be the dominant
1: team that they were last year. Sure. Kind of like the Dodgers are sustainable. doing right now. It's just a few and then a few back. And it's so weird because really so much of it with Boston is like perception, perception, right? You're six games over 500 now, as you mentioned. You're actually playing better in the last three weeks to a month than any spurt of the season so far. But the only reason why it doesn't feel great is because the Indians and the teams in the NL West have had a couple good weeks.
2: That's a part of it. I think a part of it, too, is that... um, you know, Dave Dombrowski is a very proud man, a very stubborn man, and in, in running the show there in Boston, they made the decision at the beginning of the year or in the off season not to re-sign Craig Kimbrell. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. That means that you've got belief in your bullpen. But what happens when this year alone, they've blown more leads going into the ninth inning than the entire Craig Kimbrell era with Boston? Yeah.
1: And it when is right? it what happens when you've
2: now blown I, I think it's now up to twelve saves.
1: Which is a line
2: from having faith in your team to stubbornness. right? Yeah, so I think they have to make a move. You know, I'm not sure. Maybe do they go to there's the a lot, National League a, and get the, the Giants' closer?
1: Who's going to be a, a lot of fantastic options here? But there's going to be a, that's what's going to be really fun about the offseason now, especially with the no waiver deadline and just the one single trade deadline. Is that there are going to be a lot of moving pieces for a lot. There are a lot of options and a lot of teams that want those options. So like the players that you hear about, although like you kept, I kept hearing about a couple guys from the nationals, although the nationals have been playing good ball recently and they've kind of snuck their way back up into the wildcard mix. They're just a game under 500 and they're not playing all that terribly, but teams that you, we hear about the pirates, they have a very good closer, who could be very useful to many different teams the giants as you've mentioned and the padres if they for somehow if they drop out of it a little bit and then and the nationals those are teams that have good solid arms that could be very big helps at the back of your bullpen but with the second wild card those teams are not far out of contention now so it'll really depend I guess on the next three weeks or so, the Padres in all of baseball have been one of the most confusing teams to me. In that, like every week, I feel like they're a different team. And I, when I look down at the standings, it's always like they're, they were, they just won five or they just lost five and they just gone back and forth. And that's really where they've been all year at 40 and 40. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, Kirby Yates
2: is a strong point of their team. I'm not sure you sign Machado in the same year that you trade away your closer. You release a big piece like that. Yeah, yeah. unless they've got a, you know, a flamethrower that, you know, one of the middle relievers or the setup guy or or somebody that we don't know about because, you Mm -hmm. know, he's not, you know, typically you don't hear about a lot of middle relievers for most teams unless you follow that team, right? So Mm -hmm. maybe they've got somebody that just can, you know, deal 100 miles an hour, great curve, great command, doesn't walk a lot of guys. That can come in and and make everybody forget about Yates, right? The, the Giants, obviously, they have so many different holes because Will Smith—he's having a fantastic year, but he's only making four million dollars. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a like a salary move where you're like, okay, you know, we're we're going to be shedding a ton of salary necessarily. I think it's more along the lines of we need we need an entire new lineup. Yeah, R- really. I mean, you know
1: what I mean? I mean. Uh, and that's they, what they're they going to get rid they, of Bungarder, they the and they're going to get rid of Will Smith, and they're probably just going to get rid of. They his don't have mini. a position
2: on lockdown, right? I mean, is there a position for the Giants where you're like, you know, that that guy's like a, you know, untradable, or he's the cornerstone of their franchise, or wow, wow, they could build around Buster Posey like ten years ago. I mean, no, no they don't have any. No,
1: they, there's not. I don't when you when I watch their team, they they just need a complete overhaul. They really do because they were built with some veterans and the veterans got old very quickly. Their pitching got bad, got hurt, got old very quickly. When they weren't... This was the, the thing about a guy like Bumgardner is that there are some players like, like... Where does a player like Bumgardner belong when you talk about all-time greats? Because he is maybe the most or on the short list of the, the most clutch pitchers we've seen in the playoffs ever. But if he's the type of player who only had... He had a good window, but his last few years have been bad. Maybe he can go to another team and the new change of scenery will help and he can be an arm that can can catapult a team into the playoffs and help him win the World Series. But you know, when you have a few years like this where you're not pitching well, you're not really being a good teammate, you're getting hurt on a dirt bike and stuff like that, like that's you know, that's all part of who you are and how clutched you are, because the best of the best ability is availability. And if you're not there, and your team doesn't make it some of the years. Then how great are you? And and so I think well, you make some... you make a really interesting point in that. It kind of reminds... that's kind of in
2: the Giants' mo a little bit, right? Because right. they've they've had arguably, let's just say, the best pitcher, top three pitcher in baseball on many years. Let's say of or Matt Cain, mm-hmm. or Madison Bumgarner, but they've all been kind of I don't want to say short lived because yes. it hasn't been there. Like they're not like one year wonders. But it definitely isn't like Clayton Kershaw, where you've been able to count on these guys for over a decade, and they're still going strong. Scherzer, you know, or yeah, or Scherzer, or one of these types. They all had about
1: four they just to have, five they have their down years, years, maybe
2: that were like exceptional, mm-hmm. and, and then, then they boom. have down years. Yeah, and they, they went from like like just you know sub two point five ERA, you know, with a ton of strikeouts year in year out, to like four four or five zero ERA overnight.
1: To kind of done just immediately,
2: yeah. And I don't and know, Lenticum, it kind of made a little bit of sense because of his frame, yeah. But what's Bumgarn? I mean, like that guy should he's be a built to me. Like, he's he is he is Kershaw North,
1: yes. And and then and he was the guy that was he, he he could go nine innings every game if you want. If you felt like that, right? You felt like the guy could just throw 150 pitches and his arm would would, would be completely fine. And just, maybe, maybe that's it, maybe, and maybe, maybe
2: that is maybe, maybe. he's. The way Bochy uses, the, and I, I hate to criticize one of the, the greatest managers of all time, but there has to be something to it where, you know, in giant land, maybe these guys are, are they've gotten to the 120 pitch count maybe too many times, perhaps. I don't know. And, and I'm sure going deep in the postseason, you know, three times doesn't help either. Yeah. Right. Winning three World Series.
1: But they always, uh, would have, always win and then take have a, it, right? a bad a year. Word exchange. Like an off year, you know, and then they win and then they have an off year. Like, they never really had, like, the great back-to-back years. And so maybe there is a lot to how they were handled because they are just not in great shape. Although they do now have some of those same owners that we talked about that were from the Rays that were over to the Dodgers and now, now the part of that team up to the yep. Giants. So maybe they can they can create a team. They can find some of those diamonds in the roughs like we've seen with the Dodgers. And Yeah. Perhaps, you know, Perhaps, you know this, this, here's
2: a funny thing, by the way.
1: Is that their leading home run
2: hitter? Well, tied. Pilar came over, you know, during the season from the American League, and their what seventh leading hitter, uh, home run hitter, Mike Isstramski just got called up yeah. about 30 days ago. You know, their their third leading home run hitter, Tyler Austin, came over from the Twins. So I mean, really, and, and Panda somehow has, has pulled a... Pretty nice first half out of his ass.
1: He just, just, there's just he's he's no pressure on right. him because there no you know he just likes it there. He's comfortable. yeah.
2: Evan Lagoria has gone 20 plus games without a home run. I mean, it, it's yeah, it's. Uh, it's I think I think Christian Yelich or
1: Bellinger probably have as many home runs as their top five combined. It's the opposite in San Francisco as it is, in the team on the top of the division in the NL East for Atlanta, who is now four and a half up in the division over Philly who actually Philly was really struggling for a while. They've won four games in a row when they needed to most just to breathe a little bit of air back into them because it looked like Atlanta was pulling away this team. Now, after making the move, they're a team. That's actually kind of why I, I thought about Atlanta when we we're talking about San Francisco, they're a team that's heavily rumored for bumgartner And, you know, if he can come over to them and, and have, a little bit of life for the second half of the season, he wouldn't have to do much, but he would give them a scary opponent in the playoffs. Like if I'm the Dodgers, I wouldn't want to face Bumgarner, even though he may not have the stuff he did before. Maybe he can reach back in and, and get a little bit of that life. That would that wouldn't be a bad move for Atlanta.
2: I actually think it's a must move for Atlanta. Atlanta was one of those teams that I don't think either of us were very high on going no. into the season. I think we both it was mainly because of their yeah, it was mainly because of their pitching staff, right? Mm-hmm. As well as the fact that I just didn't think that they were going to be able to get career years once again out of guys like Nick Markakis and, and even the the catcher Brian McCann. I thought his best years were behind him. Same for Josh Donaldson. And I just didn't think that they were going to be able to win with that pitching staff with those guys probably having their best years behind them, man, they're 15 games above 500 and they've somehow been able to do it with multiple pitchers that were pretty strong last year, getting sent down to the minors because they haven't been able to cut it. I don't know how they've been able to to piece it all together. Pitching wise, they've got a brilliant rookie in Mike Soraka. Max Fried is dealing Fulte, who is one of their better pitchers last year. He's, been up and down, uh, you know, in the minors, and I'm not sure if he's even up or down right now. Julio Tehran has been decent. Kevin Gosman's been. Eh, he was a trade acquisition from last year, but they've got a ton of pitching. They got that They can now. call up, and well, they- they're trying to be very patient with them, and they're very fortunate because they can. When yeah. you're when you're when you're that many games, about five hundred, with that lineup, and the summer's just starting to heat up a little bit, you're going to see a lot of home runs coming out of the Atlanta Braves, it'll it'll be interesting to see how much patience they have in terms of bringing them up, as well as how much patience they have in terms of holding up on dealing. Dealing Because you you know the Giants are going to be asking for some of these guys. The Braves have about six or seven really, really good arms right now in the minors. So they have a surplus.
1: And they need a little bit of bullpen help at the back end because Luke Jackson has been picking up saves, but he... He is not... He's shaky. I have, very him shaky. On my, I have him on my fantasy team. He is very shaky. Like, for a good team, he's already blown five or six saves, and he hasn't been their closer all year long. So they need a piece or two. They might be in the mix. Or, like you said, they have a lot of talent from within. Maybe they can bring up a young arm or two and and get that help at the back of the pen. Or, if you make the move for Bumgardner, you've got... Now you've got Bumgardner and Keichel and the young guys with Tehran that's not a bad five. All of a sudden you throw one of them into the bullpen come playoff season. You know, they're they're starting to become the team that as a Dodger fan I I'm the most scared of right now, especially if they make that one more move for a pitcher, because their lineup is deep. Their lineup is really deep. And the the, the only knock we had on them was the pitching depth and they're seeming like they're filling that void.
2: Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, we'll we'll see kind of um I mean, Keiko's first couple starts, you know, I think give a a reason for uh, uh, optimism, despite him kind of getting repped up a little bit, because you got to figure he's probably not in pitching shape. Yeah. So he hasn't had a lot of strikeouts. He's been hit kind of hard. Uh, But I, I think he's he's. You know, the type of guy, and he's not, you know, he's only 31 years old. He's the type of player that I think needs probably four or five starts. Agreed. So I think he'll be okay. It's just interesting. I remember when we had Eno you know, Saras on, you know, he was a little bit critical of the Braves and the Twins for not locking up that closer position with Kimbrell, but at least they made the move to get a starter. I think mm-hmm. they had to make a choice. So now, uh, you know, leads to the next choice, which is would you rather have Bumgarner or Kyle? Can he have both?
1: You imagine you know, if you had and those then guys with younger two? arms and turn them into a closer, you know. They could- if those, that would be an amazing job that the Braves did if they got to a playoff series and have those two able to start maybe four or five games for you. Sure, right? Sure. Just like starting games one and two in a playoff series. Now we know there's a long way to go, but same type of thing. All you can do is put yourself in the op, the best opportunity to succeed. And the Braves have really done that right now. I think we're coming up on a break, right, Mikey?
2: Yeah, let's take a commercial break. We'll talk a little bit of soccer, talk a little bit of boxing, wrap up some baseball, and uh, we'll. Give you guys a uh, happy 4th of July message and talk about next week's show.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. channel. Time 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice
3: America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
0: This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at one 472 5788 That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at show.com Now, back to this week's
1: program. Okay, so the last uh, thought on baseball before we shift the gears a little bit. I, I, wait, I can say that, right? You're not going to like, do what happened with LeVar Ball? No. I didn't, I didn't mean that to be anything. You're sexual. not allowed on our airwaves Mike, anymore after Mike, that. I didn't mean that. I meant that in the actual <laughs> shift gear. <laughs> um, Tony Gonsolin, if you don't know the name, you probably don't. He just came up and pitched for the Dodgers for the first time their day. And he was a little unlucky. He got a little roughed up. But go look at him. And when my buddy Matt texted me, he's like, this guy looks like how all of us look when we were 21. Like I had a little stash like this. He had like real long hair. He's got just a great baseball look and he, he came up, he got a great base knock. He just had a rough game um, with a little bit unlucky, but it was a point that you and I were just talking about in the break that it's the luxury that the Dodgers have right now when you're 55 and 27 and you're 12 games up in the division. On a solid Rockies team,
2: really solid Rockies team. If you remember, that was actually the team that I thought was going to eke th- out the division title. They started off terribly. They're playing pretty good ball now, you know, overall for the most part. But
0: the man, last week they could have swept the
1: Dodgers. The three oh, yeah. walk-offs. If yeah. they sweep them, and that and, and that those three games go the other way, the Dodgers start a four-game series with the Rockies tonight. The Rockies could have like cut the whole Dodger lead and the amazing first half of the Dodger season, like down to three or four games quickly if they yeah. would have won. But that's, that's um, that's just unbelievable how well things have been going for the Dodgers early on this season. Yeah. They well, even with, even with injuries though, you know, they got Seager injured. Pollock got injured. It's not like this team has been firing on all cylinders. They still have room to improve, which is kind of scary uh, because they're still playing so well right now. Yeah, you know the guy that I feel bad
2: for just because of his age and probably not going to have a ton more opportunities is Rich Hill. That guy was absolutely dealing. You know, if he if he if he was there from the beginning of the year, his numbers
1: would look very similar to Ryu. That's well, how you good remember he Richie pitching. from the World Series, man. He absolutely. was great against Boston last year. He's yep. he can his his A game is like top level. He's just his issues has always been. Can he stay healthy? Yep. He's always had the problems with the blisters and different things here and there. Yeah. That's actually uh, why Dave Roberts pulled him uh, in the middle of a no-hitter. Mm-hmm. he's been – That's he's had those issues. They just try to keep him healthy, and the Dodgers have done a really good job. I mean, Ross Stripling was – I think it was his debut, and he had a no-hitter going in the eighth inning, and they pulled him. Yeah. And his dad was, like, crying and saying, you know, thank yeah. you for helping my son, you know, this and that. And it's like they've done a really good job, and that's why as a fan – it's I'm, I've been I mean, you you want to win a World Series, obviously, but I, I don't want to get ahead of myself and not enjoy the moments right along the way, because I don't want to get wrapped up in the well, the Dodgers have lost the World Series the last two years now. So if they don't win the world, anything else besides winning a World Series, I'm just not going to be happy about it and I'm going to be a sour fan about it. Like I'm going to enjoy the wins. I'm going to enjoy when they have a great game, when they hit four home runs, I'm going to enjoy Bellinger hitting. You know, having a great because if you don't enjoy the things along the way, you know, like it it doesn't make the World Series fun when you eventually get there and when you eventually win it. So I'm I'm just happy to be fan of a team that has set themselves up where they have an opportunity every single year to be good. And it seems yeah. like that's going to be the same for the next, you know, foreseeable future. I think you make a really
2: good point from a fan's perspective. I will say this, though. Last year. I mean, and a part of the fun, by the way, is having that as a fan, that nervousness of the pressure. You're almost feeling their pressure. And I felt that a little bit during the Red Sox run because I was like, you know what? It would be absolutely disastrous if they have this historic of a regular season and then not finish the deal. So from that perspective, it was, you know. That's what made it a lot of yeah, fun, and I, is and that they did seal the deal at the very end of the day. And, and I and think and you're going to feel like that as you start getting into September ex- and October. I was say,
1: I'll get there, exactly. Like, I'll get there as we get closer, and I'll get there, especially afterwards, if things don't go well. But for now, I want to enjoy the ride as long as possible, yep, All I will strong. say this.
2: this is this is a a very complete team. I know the Astros aren't playing very well right now. They've lost eight out of their last ten. despite that, they're still eighteen games above five hundred and winning sixty one percent of their ball games. But the Astros and the Dodgers, very complete team. I don't see a hole in the Dodgers. uh, roster whatsoever. I think if anything, maybe um, Kenley, who, you know, is a very trustworthy closer. You know, he's been a little bit, you know, he hasn't been as, as Kenley Jansen as
1: he's been in the past, but they really don't have any holes in that lineup. So I think this would be the first time of the last three years where they would actually be favored like because they I don't think against the Astros like a couple of years ago they were actually yeah, I think the, they'd
2: be favored this year. The I better team. And last yep.
1: year the Boston was the better team. Yep. And I but I think this would be the first time from from a pitching standpoint it feels like they have a little bit more starting pitching than they've ever had in the past years. If the World the Series today
2: years. if we're just going to go off of the best records if they faced uh you know whether it be the the uh, Yankees, Twins or Astros they'd be favored against any of them including yeah. the Yankees because of uh just how well-rounded the team is, and I think a lot of people also are looking at the Yankees
1: and are like, you know, they're kind of playing out of their minds. When we talk about the bit. way they're built, they're they're a regular-season-built team. But when you have to slow things down and get in a series, and you can attack their players every game and attack their weaknesses every game, will they be as strong? I don't I don't know. Maybe, but I don't I don't know. That might be where they are not quite as strong. Yeah, I think they're going to, uh, and I think Brian
2: Cashman was talking about it today in front of reporters in London because they're getting ready to play a pretty big two-game set in uh, in London between the Red Sox and the Yankees. Fun. Should be a blast. But Cashman was asked about that, and he made it pretty clear that they need another arm. They need a quality starting pitcher, somebody who's, um, you know, an impressive type name. So he didn't really elaborate on, on um, you know, lefty, righty, you know, you know, you know lefty, righty, or, or yeah. that type of thing or whatever. But, you know, I, I think they're definitely going to be in the running for the Bumgarner sweepstakes. I'd be very surprised if they don't uh, put together a pretty nice package. Let's shift gears because we don't have that much time left, Gino. And yep. I know we want to talk about a few different topics, including horse racing, soccer, and a little bit of boxing. Maybe just a quick uh, line or two. This is the matchup that you were hoping for the US against France in the yep. women's world cup France has actually won i believe two out of their last 3 meetings one of them was a friendly what are your thoughts about this uh, upcoming
1: game both teams are going to have to play a little bit better i don't know if they were looking ahead but they both were not at their best when they, in their most recent wins the like france is going to be so pumped for this game this is this is the game, this is the the two teams that were favored before the tournament starts. And the two teams, strangely, that are still favored, even though they play each other, it just, they, they feel like whoever, whichever win, team wins this game is going to be the overwhelming favorite to go on and win it all. With just uh, the eight now, I guess, sick after today. So now, what, seven teams, it'll be, uh, it'll be down to four on the weekend after this next round of games. So I think the U.S. is going to win. I think they'll settle down a little bit. You know their goals were on two PKs, and one of them was a little bit of a questionable PK, questionable PK. But I, I think, I do think the U.S. will win this game. I think they'll win it pretty comfortably. Um, I feel like they just have a lot more talent, and this is the game that I think they're they've been waiting for too. Nothing more to add to that. Quickly, quick note on boxing. Not sure
2: if anybody uh, got wind of this story. Kind of an odd story, we're, we're involving Canelo Alvarez. So the WBC title holder. Um, in his division is Canelo, and him, the WBC, Oscar De La Hoya, and Golden Boy, all agreed to strip him of his world championship belt and elevate him to a new title, which is called franchise champion. Franchise champion. So now it vacates that belt. Um, but happened. but but they they've already promoted somebody. He didn't have to win into it. Germal Charlotte is now the WBC middleweight champion of the world.
1: They do this in WWE with the bad guys. They they strip the title off of somebody else and then just give it to a bad guy. And it's like, so, come on. The,
2: the crazy thing about it. So so Jolla and them. You know. They obviously wanted this because now when you're designated the uh, the franchise champion, you you get to be selective and you don't have to do some of the same things that you would as a belt holder. And I'm not going to pretend to know all the rules about like when you're challenged, which matches do you have to take? Which ones can you decline? Obviously, there's some obligations when you've got the belt. You know, you can't just say no to everybody and sit on it. Right. Uh, But as a franchise uh, champion, you're given quite a bit of authority and leeway as to what fights you take or not. So it's kind of gimmicky. It's kind of interesting. We've been talking a little bit of boxing, so wanted to throw that out there. But let's uh, let's close with I know we want to talk a little bit of NFL, but we're going to have a ton of NFL talk after the Fourth of July holiday. And next week will be a best of show. And we're just going to repeat this one. So for the Fourth of July, we will not have a live show there will be a repeat of this one so happy fourth everyone we'll see you the, the week after let's close talking a little horse racing Gino stocks some Santa Anita
1: big announcement today from the breeder's cup yeah they decided to keep the, the breeder's cup at Santa Anita they did not move it they've couple things there've already been tickets sold to Santa Anita there've already been like things released with all of the you know the signage and everything I don't think that that was like the overwhelming factor. I think the fact that Santa Anita has made some changes and there have been the numbers have gone positive since the changes. One of those changes that's kind of a, a strange one, and I don't really know how to take it, is that they have kicked Jerry Hallendorfer off of the grounds at Santa Anita and Golden Gate, where he has been a mainstay in Northern California forever. This is a Hall of Famer. This is someone who seems it's a little bit weird to have him placed as a scapegoat, Mike. Very, very weird. The whole thing is just odd to
2: me. Obviously, there's got to be a personality conflict and a personal issue that runs deep there. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the CNN report. Not sure how many people saw that, but Hollendorfer did not come off looking very good. And then the very next day, they gave him the boot. I'm originally from Northern California. I fell in love with racing, going to Golden Gate, Bay Meadows, and the California Fairs. For as long as I've been alive and been a race fan, Hollendorfer has been a mainstay up in Northern California. Before he achieved any kind of prominence, down here or national level recognition, he, it was him and Russell Bays up in Northern California. To not have either of them now is just
1: to me, it's mind blowing. It is, it's, I, I'm, it feels like there's more to this story, and I'm trying to find out as much as I can about it. Um, it, we've already seen uh, Doc Allred from Los Alamitos say that he will accept entries from Jerry Hollendorfer, we've already seen New York. Say that they will accept entries from Jerry Hollendorfer. What happens with the Breeders' Cup? Is he allowed to run races at Santa Anita during the Breeders' Cup? I think at that point, the, uh, it's the, it's the, the track Cup. becomes the Breeders' it, it's It's the it's Breeders' Cup. It's run of like, by the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita, so it's not yeah. as much Santa Anita making that decision, but that puts him in a weird spot, right? You're going to ship horses in there after the place they booted you out of, you know, yeah. a, a, to run on that big weekend. And so I'm I'm happy with what the decision to keep the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita because if they would have moved the Breeders' Cup from Santa Anita, I would have I would not have been surprised if they would have never run a race there again.
2: Yeah, and I agree if, with you. And I'm sure that there were right some contractual now, obligations they which could have, required yeah. them to, to, to probably stay. Probably there was a lot more to it. We're up against a closing though, Gino. So speaking of Hollendorfer and Los Alamitos. I'm actually going to be going to the live week, uh, meet during the 4th of July weekend. I believe my man, our man, Adrian Ross, is going to be there as well.
1: Cool. Maybe
2: uh, we can uh, all uh, you know, meet some of our listeners if you want to come out to La Salle.
1: Yeah, we'll post if we're going uh, out
2: there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So have a tremendous sports weekend, a safe and fun 4th of July, and we will see you guys in two weeks. Have a great one.